Well, welcome into the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Starr. We've got Coach David Thorpe here, author of Basketball is Jazz and NBA Analyst. How are you doing, David? Doing great, Eric. How are you tonight? Fantastic. we got a lot to talk about, so it's, let's get started. Well, so let's start off with a simply, uh, what did you think of this NBA season in general? And then the it's a very broad opener, but uh, and then the playoffs as well. I thought Golden State was very fortunate in that the first time they played a healthy opponent was in the finals. I don't, I don't know they would have had much trouble, uh, until the Spurs, but I think they would have had more trouble. And every extra game you play, there's a chance for injury, uh, you know, future fatigue. Uh, also a hit to your psyche, a hit to your confidence that they just didn't really ever get because Nurkic was hurt against the Blazers and, Hill and Gobert were injured against the Jazz, and then of course they're getting drilled. They're, they're losing that game. There's just there's no way they're winning that game. And then and that was without Parker. And then of course Kawhi goes down, and that's that. So they came in stepping against against uh, Cleveland, and and that was a bad matchup for the Cavaliers. They they would have matched up better had someone been able to upset Golden State, but they just couldn't play Warriors basketball and. And, uh, and so, but the, but the, the thing that people are saying now about the NBA was ruined and Golden State so much better than everyone, I just disagree so vehemently. Uh, it's a competitive league. Teams will ramp up their, their arms race, so to speak. There's going to be better teams next year. And we're already kind of seeing that. And yeah, Golden State's probably going to be better than them. That doesn't mean they're going to win. So I think I think the West is going to be incredible going forward the next four or five years. It's, I think the NBA is going to have some of the most exciting games and series uh, they've ever had. Yeah, actually, that was my second question was about the Warriors and the Cavs and to a lesser extent the Cavs' dominance. I mean, LeBron is what is it seven straight finals now in the in the East. Yeah, and then yeah. I mean, but the people things people aren't forgetting is that players regress, players get injured, players fall off a cliff in terms of their production. It happens. It's it's an ever changing league. I mean, I'm trying to think about three or four years ago, who was the player that we just like we were so enthused about who's maybe out of the league or something like it happens. People regress and it just it's not it's so much more fluid than, oh, they have some really good players, which they obviously do some Hall of Fame players, some all star players, but they're not going to automatically win the next five championships just because they're in their prime. Well, four years ago, I think it was uh, when the Spurs played what I thought was the greatest series in the history of basketball globally to beat the big three in Miami. Dwayne Wade was so great. Chris Bosh was great. Wade, you know, is, is not nothing, is nothing like he was. And Bosh is not even playing right now. And, and by the way, neither is Tim Duncan. Uh, that was just four years ago. So that's your point is right. The, the, the game is going to continue to evolve and, uh, teams are going to uh, do things like Houston just did with Chris Paul and, now we'll see what the other contenders will do. Let's see where Paul George ends up. Let's see where Kevin Love goes and what the Cavs do. Uh, but, but we know Minnesota is going to be much better. At least we think they're going to be much better. And, and we just have to look at two different series in the last two years to know how things can change quickly. Houston had the Spurs beat. And I think Houston would have given, would have given the, uh, the Warriors a heck of a series. And James Harden died in the fourth quarter of, of game five and, and then all of game six, he was dead. He had nothing left to give. 
And so that series was a wrap. And then two years ago, up 3-1, series is over. Steph Curry died. He kind of died before, actually, that those last couple games. And he was awful. He, in fact, I think the Warriors would won the championship had they just sat him. He was terrible. He was dead. He physically, emotionally drained. And uh, Bogut got hurt. Draymond got suspended. And the Cavs got a trophy, which is fine. They earned it. They deserve it. But things change fast. And so what I like to do in, in, my, in my book, uh, which is inspired by the great golf coach Harvey Pennick. So Harvey Pennick talked about putting and how he wanted the ball to kind of die around the hole, uh, which meant you had to get the pace right. Direction may be off a little bit, but if you get the pace right, you give luck a chance to happen. And that's that's how I look at uh, the NBA playoffs and the postseason in, in general. Uh, give luck a chance to happen by being good, by getting there. Uh, the Cavs gave, gave luck a chance to happen. They had no chance to beat a 73-win Warriors team, except the Warriors ran out of gas, and the Cavs are champions fair and square. So the Warriors are favorites going forward next year. But some of these teams are now talented enough where they're going to give luck a chance to happen. The Warriors are going to have to earn it to be champs going forward because these other teams will be right there. And so it's going to make for, to me, a very competitive postseason. For sure. Um, depending on well, part, where, where Paul George and Hayward go, of course, Celtics, uh, Rockets, um, in terms of Paul George and then Hayward to the Celtics, um, it's like it's going to definitely shift the focus and shift the uh, the the next year and who's who's going to be challenging. But do you th- where do you think the hierarchy of the West the Rockets are now? Are they solidly the second best team in the West? If they had Paul George, can they push the Warriors? Or is it depend depends so much on what they give up and how the roster fills out? Oh yeah, I'm not ready at all. We we don't need to decide yet. It's, it's not even July 1st. Let's see, let's see what the Spurs do. Let's see what the Wolves do. Uh, ironically, I think, uh, if they had Kevin Love, they would just be incredible. Uh, he, he's the perfect fit to Anthony Towns at the five and Wiggins and Butler on the wing. He really, and Rubio at one, who's not a, a shooting threat. That, that would give them four shooters on the court. Uh, dominant rebounding. They've got some athletes to play next to Love. Uh, some chaos creators like Rubio and Wiggins could be. So, uh, let's just see what the Spurs do. Let's see what these teams do, what they're, what the Warriors might do, um, before we, we have to prognosticate. I just know this, that the, the, it's starting to look like there's going to be some serious contenders to Golden State. And, uh, and that's encouraging. For sure. Um, do you think that the Wolves need more shooting or like JJ Redick ish, or do you think that they are okay enough that the spacing won't be horrible? Uh, no, I think they need more shooting. I don't know that Redick is the answer because he, he, you know, he wants to start somewhere, I'm guessing, and, and he won't start there. Um, unless, unless they went Wiggins at four, which is something that they may end games with. He's a little young to be a, you know, starting out there. Maybe they would. Um, but their bench is suspect now. You know they've obviously moved some guys, but they've got they've got some interesting things they can do. Uh, they're a team though that we're all intrigued with. I want to see what the Pelicans do. Actually, that's the most intriguing team to me because they're the one team that if they make one more move for a big, uh, they can go Anthony Davis at three and be huge. Oh my goodness, that would be like they would never miss a rebound. Yeah, I'd like I if I was running that team, which I'm not and won't be. Uh, I'd like to see them zig when everyone else is kind of zagging. Uh, they already got the Cousins-Davis combination. Go get another big guy. 
make 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 it a big guy that's agile. Um, Serge Ibaka. I'm just making up names now because I've not even looked at what they can do. But but go big, and then run an offense like a flex where you're sealing people a lot. Uh, you're forcing other teams to defend bigs that aren't just catching the post and playing because you can help on that. Uh, you're going to force them to help off seals, and that's that's a, that's a more challenging thing to do. Uh, I'd like to see them do something like that, but I don't know that they will. I think it's key if they they need to get Drew Holiday back though, right? Otherwise, they don't have anyone to run anything. Oh yeah, there's no doubt they need to keep Holiday, and and I know Dallas is going after him. They they yeah they they don't want to get they don't want to lose guys. I'd like to see him add one more piece. I mean, I doubt Paul George is going to go there, but uh, it'd be it'd be That'd interesting be to see. But, if it was Paul George, yeah. Davis, and Cousins, oh my goodness. Yeah, there's some there's some interesting things that they could they could you know they could go get a young player that uh, he doesn't have to be great if they've got Holiday and they've got uh, Cousins and 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 uh, Davis they they can go get a young guy that's got some upside and develop him. Remember, Draymond Green was a six and five guy his second season in, in Golden State. Uh, no one no one cared about Draymond Green under Mark Jackson. If the Pelicans change up their coach, which I think they need to do. Uh, I don't know that they will, but I think they need a, a change of how they play. Uh, and like I said, be be a little bit like the Grizzlies were, uh, and and kind of still are, but less so now with Fisdale. Um, and just be a bigger dominating team, pound the ball inside. You obviously need to surround yourself with shooters. Maybe they get Redick. I doubt. I don't even know if they're looking at him, but uh, have great shooters surrounding those guys inside. And like I said, try it with Davis at the three. He's agile enough to guard threes. He really is. Cousins is too if he drops another forty pounds. I mean, Cousins <laughs> could be, and I heard he got thin. So if that's if that's true, and and he should be inspired to get as thin as possible, he's not going to forget how to seal people inside and be. He'd he'd be a, the most dominating center on a team like that that really played differently. Uh, they'd be interesting to watch. No one want to play them. I'll tell you that. That's for sure because they'd be it's so physical. It'd be impossible yeah. to beat them, and you can't. If, they, if Anthony Davis can guard enough, then the perimeter isn't a big deal, and Cousins is a good enough defender inside that it won't. I mean, he can clog it up pretty well. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, they can leave a guy at the rim all the time. Uh, that won't be that won't be the problem. Um, they they uh, if they have got they really extend out with those bigs, and that takes a season of practice to do. They'll struggle early if they did what I'm suggesting, but by the end of it, uh, they'll be fine. What do you think the Spurs need to do? They have an interesting point where they Parker is kind of still there. He's like a probably probably Hall of Famer, I guess. People are, I think. Um, and the, but then he's like older, and then Kawhi's obviously the guy. But then they need to they need to do something with Aldridge and Pau Gasol. What are you thinking? Well, I think number one, Parker is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he he's he changed the game. This is a point guard they couldn't shoot, and and there was a couple years in the league where he led the league in paint scoring. Uh, yeah, he, he was really amazing. So, you know, very interesting because I think that they have a culture that respects their core. And so does that mean they keep Aldridge and Parker and, and probably not be quite as good? Uh, or, because they could probably attract something to go with Kawhi, if, if not this summer, then the following one. Um, so I don't know, but I just, I just know it's silly to think they're not going to be contenders because – Pop's the best. He's the best in the league. Iggy? Do you think they want Iguodala or get Iguodala? 
Yeah, Iguodala is, uh, I mean, he's got two rings now. Maybe, maybe he'd like to see if he can't do it somewhere else. Um, he wouldn't be as effective there as he is in Golden State, but, um, I think that, I think Iguodala is, is a lot like, um, Clay Thompson in that they're very much beneficiaries of playing with who they play with. Uh, Clay can't get two free throws a game. He, he's just a shooter. He's an amazing shooter. Maybe the best in the world. And there's huge value to that. Um, but, but he's a shooter in a league that you've got to be able to do something with the ball in your hands when they take away your shot to be multidimensional. He's not that guy. So if Clay, for example, were, were to make a poor decision and go somewhere where he'd be the man, so to speak, that'd be a huge mistake. He should never leave Durant and Curry and he'll, he'll be great. I know Iguodala is not the shooter. He just is going to benefit by playing with all-stars. He's not a facilitator. He's not a primary scorer. Uh, he's a great defensive player, not as good as he used to be, but still can be elite, you know, especially in the postseason when he's, you know, healthy and rested and all that. Um, cerebral guy, needs to be in the right franchise, in the right culture. He can be kind of a pain, but it works for him. I, I, I hope he stays. I'd like to see Golden State stay intact and and because I think it elevates everyone else's game. Yeah, he was rumored to us, uh, or I don't know, say us here in Phoenix, and I he's one of my favorite players, so I thought it would be interesting. But, of course, as a mentor and as a really to help all these young Jackson and Warren actually defend correctly, Jackson has more potential, of course, but uh, it'd be helpful. Um, what do you think Portland has to do? They have, like, they have their dominant guards. They got Nurkic now. They have so much salary and Turner and everybody else that it's like, what can they do and what should they do? Athletes and shooters. I always say the same thing. Athletes and shooters. Uh, they, they were a much better team once they got Nurkic. Uh, they got to surround them with athletes and shooters because there's no reason with two guards like that and a great rebounder and Nurkic to play, you want, you want to play super fast, which is not something that I think Stotts loves to do. Uh, but, but I would suggest it and, um, and let give those guards free reign and just put slashers, which is why I say athletes and guys that can spot up. I don't care how tall they are. That's really, that's really the important thing is don't worry about size so much. I like Warren, uh, uh for Phoenix, you know, get guys that can cut. Um, don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry about size so much. Get, get athletes and shooters next to those guys. So it sounds like you, you really uh, advocate this um, chaos thing of get some guys in your team that can just, that are really gritty. They're defenders like a Tony Allen type. Um, the Suns have some like that with Ulis, and they had Tucker, and they got, I mean, Dudley with his active hands. But uh, they have these guys that seem to advocate for this chaos along with your primary scorers. Well, the problem, though, is they can't be 34. You got to get young guys. You got to get, you got to get them young and train them up and coach them up and teach them up and film with them and work on their athleticism all the time and challenge them to play with energy and athleticism and toughness. Uh, I think too many teams, I mean, look at watch. I watched game five a couple weeks ago after, right after the game ended in the championship game. And there were some good athletes on the court for both teams, mostly for Golden State. And then Patrick McCaw got on the court and it looked like he was playing at a different speed. Like something was wrong with the computer. Uh, he was flying. He's so fast. Uh, he's just young guys. I think that teams aren't valuing that enough. They, they, you know, Cleveland, for example, doesn't value that enough. They, they like old, LeBron likes old guys that know where they're supposed to be on the court. And I think, I think he's made a mistake. I think you're better off getting young guys and coach them up and let them make mistakes, but their athleticism will make up for it. <laughs> 
I might have been saying this because of you on based on something you said on Twitter, but I kept telling everybody, I'm like, their only plus defender on their team is LeBron on the, on yeah. the Cavs. It's Shumpert before his injury, maybe, but everybody else is just a shooter. I mean, and not a plus defender. No, no, I agree. I think that's. Uh, I think Shumpert stinks anyway. Actually, I've always I've always thought he kind of stunk, but uh, he was just you know everyone looks better next to LeBron. The way the way I kind of phrase it is. If you think about, um, if you think about a pool and you, you know, you, the pool, the water goes up to maybe three inches below the surface of a pool or a pond, or whatever. But then you're throwing like a hundred dudes in the pool. The water's going to overflow, right? With all that weight. LeBron elevates the level of the pool for everybody. So they all look better and they would stink without him. Uh, Kyrie is talented. Kevin Love, obviously, but the other guys, I think they made a mistake in how they built their team, and and that's why they got run out of the gym. Yeah, and that's kind of why. I mean, but LeBron is like LeBron the GM. Like, what else is – I mean, dude, I don't know why they let David Griffin go. That just seems ridiculous. But, uh, I mean, LeBron's the GM in a sense because you have to do what he says. Apparently, Dan Gilbert doesn't seem to care about getting rid of David Griffin and stuff. But uh, uh, so it's like, what are you going to do? I mean, LeBron's going to dictate who he wants. Like you said, old guys who know where they're supposed to be and have their skill set. But what are you going to do? <laughs> well, you, you, yeah, you're not going to resign in protest, which is maybe what he should have done. Um, so people knew that it wasn't, you know, that he, he stood for something, but no one's going to do that. So you're going to let LeBron do what he wants to do. And that's what's funny about the idea that maybe he'll go to LA is, you know, they're awfully young. So he's going to have to have a change of heart. Yeah, I don't think LeBron's going to out the Lakers. Um, but uh, what do you think about Toronto? It seems like they hit their ceiling. Um, what can they do? What should they do? It all depends on what they want. If they if if they want to be a fifty win team, uh, which is what I think is a fair goal. If it, it, I was I was a fan of sports before I got involved on the inside. Um, I live in Tampa. I live in Clearwater, so the, the Buccaneers were our home football team. And if, if we were able to compete for you know nine ten wins a year. Or more. We had a good year. We, it was fun to go to the games. It was fun to watch them on TV. It was fun to read about them every day. Uh, it, we gave luck a chance to happen by doing that. Um, if I was an NBA fan, I'd want my team to be 50 plus wins a year. If they can get that, especially at 55, you become a contender. At 50, at least you're winning a lot more games you're losing. You're, you're involved. You're relative to the discussion when it comes to the postseason. And if you know what, if you're fatally flawed, so be it. But the example I use for that all the time is Phoenix. When, when they had Nash and Amari and, and, and then Tony's teams and Gentry that one year, that, that was the sexiest team in sports. They were fun to watch. They won a bunch of games. Now nah, I know that they kept losing the postseason. Although I would argue that had they kept the team intact, they would have won one, at least one. Or um, 2007 doesn't happen. Right, right. Right, of course. Uh, that's to me what they, what, what, what I would do if I was running a team is try to build a team with 50 plus wins. If we lose in the postseason every year, at least we're getting 50 plus wins a year. We're making our fans happy. We're fun. Games are fun to go to. It's fun to follow them all year round. And, and then you give luck a chance to happen. Maybe you find a late season buyout or a late, a late trade deadline uh, move, uh, or you get a draft pick one year at 27. That ends up, uh, probably should have been top 15 and you, you develop him into an all-star 
And now all of a sudden you're a top four team. And that, that's what I would try to do. And I think Toronto can do that. Maybe they'll never beat Cleveland, but so what? Because the alternative is to break the team up. And, uh, and now you're going to stink again. And I don't love that, but I, that's probably what they'll do. Yeah. That's a kind of goes a good segue to our Suns section here. The people, and we can say it's Suns Twitter and whatever, like there's a whole, all of the writers and people who follow the team much more closely than the casual fan have been debating it for years. I mean, four years. I mean, ever since the Nash years gone, there was those years before McDonough was there where the cupboard was bare. There was no assets to be had. Now that, now there's assets. There's young players. There's uh, hope, I guess. There's something to build around, something to build with. And there's still this sense of, be bad and be bad and develop the talent for like the OKC, like OKC did for years and years and years. And I'm kind of like fighting against it in a sense because you, you only attract free agents when you're pretty good, but you're also, you don't want to develop, like, what do you, what do you, here's, I guess we'll just start with this. What do you think about a player? How does a player's development get stunted? Bad coaching, typically bad culture also. Uh, there's a, there's a saying, uh, culture is strategy for breakfast. And I think that's very appropriate in business politics as well as basketball. Uh, the NBA has got a good number of teams that would just have bad culture. And no matter what they do, they stink because of it. And I think Phoenix is guilty of that. So you got to get the right culture, the right cult. And, and by the way, I don't, I don't think that's something Andre Godala could help a lot with. I, I don't believe that most players who are still commanding good salary, Man, they don't want to be someone's daddy. They want to play. That do, and they don't want to be wiping their nose. That doesn't mean they're not going to be solid citizens and good mentors, but that isn't their first order of business. They want to play and they want to win. They don't want to be holding someone's hand all the time. I think it's culture starts with owner, management, and coaching. Uh, uh, you get the right culture in place, and I could go into that if you wanted me to. You get the right systems in place for player development. You get the right game design, system design for how you're going to play night in, night out, built around what you have, what you think you're going to have going forward, and what could work in the league. And you stay true to that. And over time, your players will get better, uh, your team will get better, and, and you'll start ascending. So I guess briefly, you're talking about culture. Is that just the systems, the ownership, general manager, coach, and player development needs to be there? Or is it something bigger? No, it's you. It's pretty much that. Uh, it's it's everything from accountability in the locker room. Uh, uh, when are guys showing up? Are they showing up on time? Uh, is management on the same page with coaches? And are they both on the same page with players? Are they are they dealing with the players' entourages? Meaning, each player has his own trainer, an agent. Is there a line of communication that's open? Um, Oklahoma City really has a great culture for at least they had for a long time. I, I've not checked in within the last couple of years, but they, they would have a player development was a big part of their culture year round during the season. They would have spa days where literally you, you had to come in, but you weren't allowed to touch a basketball. They had every masseuse known to man, every, every kind of person to help the player feel better about their mind or body was there. Uh, and chefs were there, which, you know, most of these teams have chefs now. And then they had other nights, other days where they shut the system down to get you in. You couldn't get in. They would tell you not to come. But if you felt like coming anyway, you weren't allowed. They wanted you home resting. That's, that's part of building a culture. It's, 
It's how you're doing, you know, look what Joe Madden did for the Tampa Rays and then with the Cubs. That's a culture uh, where you would have dress-up days on the road. And there was just a, 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 a uniqueness about what you were doing, an identity about what you were doing that helped elevate every player. And um, that isn't just coming from adding a, an old veteran like Dante Jones in Cleveland. He's not doing that. Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, that's really interesting. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, it kind of gives them this sense of trust between ownership and management versus the players that they know that one that they know what's best for them. So they're like an expert on, and then they also have the trust that they're trying to do what's best for them in the long term, helping them buy in too. I think that's really, really key. Um, yeah, no question. To bounce off of that, because the, the, I want to see, see get your take on this. For example, hypothetically, in the last couple of days, Blake Griffin has been, has been someone who has been linked to the Suns, whether it's for leverage or not, whatever. But the whole feeling around here is that he would severely stunt the growth of Bender and Chris. Do you think that's a true or false statement, or is it more, and or is it the culture we just talked about more important in overriding that? One of the most important ingredients to player development is oxygen, and that oxygen for a player is playing time. They're just not getting better on the practice court alone. They've got to play. Uh, the best example I would give that. And more recent times is uh, what happened with Kawhi Leonard. He he jumped, I believe it was 26 inches in the pre-draft camp in Chicago. He couldn't shoot. He didn't really have a single skill out of, outside of uh, being tall and long coming out of San Diego State. He wasn't all that athletic. He wasn't all that skilled. He was a good basketball player, but but supposedly you're, you know, you've got to be an expert in something. Well, he wasn't an expert in anything. But what the Spurs did is they played him a bunch. And then at some point, I believe it was a rookie, Pop said, this guy's going to be the future face of the franchise. So he gave him a belief and a confidence and a vision of what it was going to be like. Had they, had they been like most other teams and just brought him off the bench and played 15 minutes a game, whatever, you would have seen him look like most other number 15 picks in the draft. Look, you got to play guys. You got to let them fail and you got to let them learn from their mistakes and not yank them out of games all the time and watch film with them, coach them up the next day and the next day and the next day and let them figure it out over time. And uh, if if Phoenix wants to develop their guys, they, they've got a plan. So is there is there a sense of overwhelming the player, like putting him and throwing him in the deep end too much, too much and causing confidence issues and other issues? Or is it that really depend on the player's attitude towards the, those adversity I would say it, it mostly depends on how he's being treated. If the player is being browbeaten for his mistakes, uh, he's going to have confidence issues. If the player is being embraced and with just the understanding that, hey, you're go- you you have to literally failure is part of our plan. You've got to fail. We love you. We're going to coach you up. Let's watch film. Let's see what we're doing. Then then it's, it's the environment will be fine. But if he's being ridiculed, if he's if he starts to get uh, gun shy with his shot or with his defense or whatever then then it's problematic. And that, that goes to culture. Exactly. So then what about like a bender type where he's talented, but you know he's not what he's going to be because he has to grow physically and strong before he can actually do that failing at a proper level? Same idea. You've, you've got to, you've got to, you know, what I like to do with guys, you know, years ago when I was, when I was doing a rookie report for ESPN and um, I would, I would write this, I would write this uh, piece late in the season every year where I would ask 
I would create what NBA veteran the rookie should be studying. And it wasn't necessarily someone that I thought the player could be like one day, but I thought it was a skill that he maybe could learn from this one player. But what I do with my young guys is I try to model a lot. Uh, the model might change every year. Uh, we, we might follow one guy one year, and then I recommend following a different guy the next year uh, so that they have a picture of what I thought they could be like. And, and that's what, and that's what needs to happen. Uh, even when they're failing, just let them know that this is, this is where it's going to be eventually. If we start doing these kinds of things, you know, what the, what the metrics might look like, what the numbers would look like, get, get the player to understand this. Oh, this is, this is what they want me to look like. And, and show them on film what, what that would be. Okay. So I won't go into all of the players, but what do you think Booker's person that needs to look at would be? Who? So, um, so I have to, yeah, normally I would spend weeks on this to try to pick the right guy. So, so with Bender, you know, one thing, well, this is not someone I would have him look like, but one guy I would have him study probably would be Patrick Beverly. Uh, for what he does defensively, that Booker is such a gifted offensive player, and he's so young. Uh, Patrick Beverly gives no quarter on defense, relentless on defense. I'd want Booker to play that way defensively, uh, knowing that offense is so easy for him. And then I, you know, one of the guys that I'd look at would be Harden. Uh, Booker's got size and length. Uh, the way Harden is a primary ball handler, uh, it, you know, it's not about point guard and shooting guard anymore. I, I have another chapter in my book where I call it lead guard versus scoring guard versus point guard. You know, there's just so many different ways to look at it. But we've got primary ball handlers and then guys that aren't primary ball handlers. Booker, Booker is a primary ball handler who could do just so much more and, and will as he, as he develops. Uh, and, and studying the way Harden attacks ball screens and uh, protects the ball and you know, gets to the free throw line is something that Booker would greatly benefit from. For sure. I mean, he just, and I don't, I don't know if it's effort on the defensive end or just studying Beverly or something, and he'll get there eventually once, once Jackson's there to help out in defense, which, I mean, obviously he'll be a rookie, so he'll take some time to actually develop, but he already has the defensive prowess and the defensive energy and the defensive uh, intensity to really help on that end right next to Booker, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, yeah, so... Any other any other player comps for the Suns? Different players that come to mind for someone who they have to uh, study, like uh, Warren or um, or Bledsoe. Yeah, I, I probably would have Bledsoe watch. I mean, he's older than him, but but the way John, you know, Bledsoe was one of the best athletes at his position when he came in the league, uh, like John Wall, and and John's just such a he's he's a much more gifted passer, I think, than Bledsoe. Bledsoe makes some simple passes. I think uh, Wall sees it better, um, but Bledsoe needs to shoot better. He's get, he's getting better, but man, he he, he is. To, he used to have to walk into threes, and now he can actually shoot them. But he still is not a knockdown shooter by any means. Yeah, that that would be the next place for him is is just be better than a thirty three percent shooter. And um, if he could do that, he, he's a he's a much more valuable weapon. Uh, I like I like Bender. I watched Bender a lot when he was in Maccabi. And, um, you know, he doesn't really have a game yet. Uh, 
Porzingis is interesting for him. Pau Gasol's skill uh, is interesting for him. What do you think of Kar- uh, uh, Andre Karolinko? Yeah, I mean, I, I I see where you're going with that. I I think Bender, Bender's someone that that is he's a big guy. Um, I I wouldn't be afraid to teach him how uh, Zebo plays. Try to get him much better footwork inside. Uh, if I think a lot of these players who want to be so perimeter based and just aren't ready for that yet. So if Bender, if Bender could learn, teams are switching everything. He's such a huge man. If he could learn how to use his footwork to seal guys inside, he would get three to five buckets a game, uh, not including fouls that they would draw, uh, that it would immediately change his game because he would seal these little guys and he would just turn and score. I'd, I'd like to see him do that. I don't know that they'll do that, but. That's what I'd be doing with him. I'd really teach him how to, how to use his size inside, and that starts with footwork, and that's something Zebo is an expert at. Definitely. Um, I'm of the mind that, that Bender will be best eventually as a as a five. What do you think, four or three people? Are, I mean, Yeah, I like him as a four or five. I, you know, I, five is fine. Four is fine. Um, I, you have smaller guys next to him. But like I said, to, to, to be that big and, and agile – and not be able to score inside, I think it's a, it's a shame. Uh, I'm all for shooting threes, but uh, as teams switch, if you could make them pay inside, you're, you're, you're bringing value to your team. What, uh, what about Warren? His defensive, to me, his defensive, uh, it's not his footwork, his positioning is so bad. What, have you seen enough of him to really know what he needs, to, how he needs to fix that? I love TJ Warren, you know, and he's just going to be 24, I think. Um, I think that he's got to be, uh, a much better shooter from the perimeter. He's so good off the ball. He reminded me of Kevin Martin off the ball. He can't shoot, wasn't as quick, but, but brilliant off the ball. Amazing feel for cutting. Uh, adding a three point shot would be tremendous for him. And, uh, and I think that their coach isn't very good. I, I don't think they've been coached defensively well at all. Most any player can be an average defender if the system's right, and uh, and so you got to coach him up, you got to get the system right, and he'd be fine. I, to me, it's I mean, the, uh, there goes, there's a chicken and egg thing with is Earl Watson a bad coach because of the players? Is not good enough players to see if he's a good coach, or is he not a good coach, and that's why the players are not playing very well? Is the that can be a kind of chicken or the egg thing. Well, they're too young. They're too young. I, I definitely agree. And they're young. But but Eric Spolstra showed this year what a good coach can do. Oh, he's he's amazing. Though. I mean, I, I don't expect Earl Watson to ever get there. I think he's only, he's Earl Watson is mostly here for the culture aspect you were talking about earlier in terms of accountability and like the embracing those players. Who knows if he'll actually be a good coach? Maybe he's kind of that. Uh, remember when in Orlando when they got Jack Vaughn in to uh, Jack Vaughn, yeah, to the re the rebuild. That's kind of what it feels like with this Earl Watson thing. It's like, well, that was a mistake. That was a mistake by Orlando. I, I actually love Jacques Vaughn as a player. I met him when he was a player at Kansas. He assisted me at Five Star Camp one year. Uh, amazing guy, but not a good coach. Young. Um, I'm rooting for Earl. I hope. I hope it works out. I like his demeanor. Uh, there's no reason to think he can't become a much better coach. Coaches get better like players do. Um, there's no doubt of that, and, and I'm hope, I'm rooting for him. For sure. Um, we actually have one, a couple, a question here. I wanted to jump in. 
Um, one person said, what is the toughest part defensively about the jump from college basketball to the NBA? Oh, man. Speed of the game. Speed of the game, and that, that goes to do with uh, the ability. College players play the game. Pros read the game. So every mistake you make, every false step you take, you're screwed. Uh, every hesitant, every hesitant move you take, you're done. Uh, especially against the better teams. Golden State races to guard you. They don't, they don't jog. They race. They know where they're going to be. Uh, and, and you're just exposed if you have any hesitancy. But, uh, the, the strength of, you know, the college game's more of a power game. The referees call it tighter in the NBA. And, uh, and you just got to defend so many things instantaneously. You've got to know exactly what your job's supposed to be at every action at all times based on the personnel involved in the action. And if you're just flying by the seat of your pants, you're going to get exposed very quickly and, and they'll, they'll, and they'll hammer you mercilessly at it. They'll just do it every possession. Yeah. Um, to be more broad here in terms of, um, my questions again is, uh, um, I don't know. Is it too obvious? So who's, who thinks the best? Um, X's and O's coach in the NBA right now? Pop. No doubt it's Pop. I think Brad Stevens is great. I think Spolstra is great. Um, Rick Carlisle is incredible. Uh, I don't, I don't think X's and O's is all that, that, uh, that is entailed. Um, you've got to, you've got to be able to inspire your players. There was a time where Lionel Hollins did a great job of charismatically, same as Doc Rivers, just really getting his guys to believe. Uh, and I think I thought that was really important. But yeah, those guys are the elite coaches right now. So too. Um, what do you think are some of the um, most underrated or overrated players around right now? Like for example, I think DeAndre Jordan's overrated. But uh, what are some overrated players first? Yeah, honestly, I don't pay much attention to what other people say. So I don't I don't know who's overrated. I don't know what what you know what they do. I know that that. Clay Thompson this year had a very bad defensive plus minus uh, for the Warriors, but he was very good in the postseason. Um, and I happen to think Kevin Love is better than most people probably think. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his. I think Blake Griffin is better than people give him credit for. And if he changed teams, I think we'd see that more. Um, we want some less famous players like that. that just let's pick some players that you think are. Gonna make the jump soon. They're gonna make the jump. Uh, you know, Gorgie Jang is interesting to me in Minnesota. He he's a really good defensive player. Uh, a kid that I've trained a lot, Omri Caspi, has had a lot of bad luck. Every time he's gone to a coach that really loved him, that coach left. And um, and now we'll see with free agency. But he was a very good defensive player for for a terrible Kings defensive team and a great shooter. And if he gets lucky, he gets the right team, I think it'd be a big difference maker. Um, I like, uh, you know, I don't know. I, there's, there's so many. Gallinari's always a guy that I thought was, was really good. Miles Turner is going to make a huge jump here. Yeah, there's no doubt of that. Rubio, I think, is ready to make a big jump too. Um, I, I think that another year with Thibodeau and, and the players they have around him, I think he's going to be a much better player now. Yeah, I actually interviewed Gorgie Jang in the in college when they when they were when they were he was with Louisville and it was in yeah. Phoenix. I was actually I actually got to interview him, but he was I just could barely understand what he said because he was he's from Senegal and at the time I don't think he could speak um, that good English. But it was really interesting. He was very very big. Yeah, I'm a fan <laughs> of him. I'm, I'm six foot seven, and he was still pretty big. Wow, wow, he's a big guy. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so kind of, I guess, um, so what do you think about Chris Paul and James Harden playing together? Because you were talking about lead guard and stuff, and Harden was the lead guard, but Chris Paul is very good at being a point guard. Um, so what do you what do you think about the dynamic that might go on there? They obviously need the right players to go with them, but what do you think about the two of them and the backcourt they've got there? Uh, when LeBron and Dwayne Wade first partnered up, uh, I was at ESPN, and it seemed like everyone thought that it could never work. And when they were struggling early, people couldn't wait to trumpet. I told you it couldn't work. And I was out there with my buddy Henry Abbott saying, you know, we don't know what you're talking about. They're going to be incredible together. They just got to, they, they just got to learn to play together a little bit. And that's how I feel, uh, with Paul and Harden, unless one of them is a psychopath and has no interest in winning, which I don't think is the case. They will learn to, uh, to make the adjustments needed. And I think they're going to be incredible together. I really do. And I think they'll help each other have more energy available in the postseason, which is where they both, you know, want to have more success and at least make it to the conference finals. Yeah, they both need that. I think um, Paul's going to get on Harden for his defense or at least help him because I know Harden can do it, but he needs Paul to maybe help him be able to unlock his potential there. Well, I think Harden needs energy that isn't available because he's got to do everything on offense. So where he's going to help him more than anything is he's going to be able to take some of that offensive burden off him and uh, let Harden make easy plays off of Paul. And that'll give me energy to play defense better. Um, let's see here. That's pretty much everything, I guess, for this for this one. Um, why don't you plug your book and what you got going on, and then I'll plug it and we'll get out of here. Yeah, so uh, I wrote a book, Basketball is Jazz, Stories and Lessons from a Basketball Lifer. Uh, really, it's my story on, on player development, uh, dealing with a lot of NBA players and pros overseas, but also – Terrific young men at the high school level that are now just doctors and businessmen and, and fathers and husbands. Uh, that I started coaching in the 80s. These guys are in their 40s now. And I still love them like they're my kids, but they're grown men. Uh, and uh, it's really written about uh, people who love the game of basketball, trying to inform and entertain the fans that I've developed over the years uh, or players that I've coached over the years or the parents who want their sons or daughters to be uh, to fall in love with the game themselves, whether they become coaches, whether they're fourth graders, want to play better basketball. I've had a lot of coaches from different sports tell me uh, from crew. I have a woman who, who coaches young rowers in high school uh, who told me that she read the book and it really inspired her to be a better coach and gave her some tips to, to do just that and baseball coaches and football coaches so I'm really happy to hear that that, that basketball is a, a tool that I use to, to reach young people and more important life lessons, and every sport allows for that. And so this book kind of is built for that. It's a vehicle to help parents and coaches reach young people about more important life lessons. And if you like basketball, there's a whole lot of stories about Joakim Noah, Lou Aldang, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, guys that I've coached that, are, that aren't as famous as those guys but are well-known, uh, and it's just my way of – I kind of mix in lessons on how to shoot the ball better, dribble the ball better, pass the ball better, defend better, block shots better. I mix those in, which is the anecdotes as a, a 30-year coach. Wonderful. I'm going to go pick it up for sure this week. So I suggest you, you all do the same. Um, again, this is a Solar Insights podcast. I really appreciate David for coming on. Uh, if you can go subscribe on, on Google Play, Stitcher, and iTunes. 
Uh, we've got plenty of episodes. This is we're wrapping up our. It's we started in October. We got tons of people on. You can go back and listen to all those episodes. And uh, follow me at Eric underscore Sar. And uh, David, what's your handle? On Twitter, I'm at Coach Thorpe, one word, uh, C-O-A-C-H-T-H-O-R-P-E. Uh, that people like to follow me on Facebook, David B. Thorpe on Facebook, where on Twitter I really talk about basketball. Um, but I used to do a, uh, they used to call it a dad pod on ESPN. And I do a lot of dad potty kind of things on Facebook where I've got 16-year-old twins. Uh, my son's a, a serious player. My daughter's a serious dancer. And I talk a lot about them and, and, and how to, how to, you know, struggle as a dad. My kids are driving now for the first time in the last couple of weeks. And so I share more parenting lessons and, and, and read about parenting stuff on Facebook. So they can follow me there as well. Awesome. Well, David, thanks so much for coming on. This is a Solar Insights podcast. Subscribe and tell your friends. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.